Father, we pray that you would indeed speak to us now, that you would help us to understand your word, that you would help us to live it out. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. What do you like when it comes to waiting? Excuse me. What sort of person are you whenever you have to wait for something? And I see people in pews looking at their family members. So I don't know what that might mean, but we'll find out maybe later on. Are you uh, a patient type of person, happy to wait for as long as necessary, keeping cool and calm and collected? Are you more impatient, always agitated, ready for action, wanting to get a move on? Or maybe you thrive on distraction. Uh, So when you're waiting for one thing, it's an opportunity to do something else, Uh, like the people who sit at traffic lights and do their hair or their makeup, or they shave, or they eat a bowl of cereal, or they're checking their mobile phones. What are you like when it comes to waiting? Well, perhaps it depends on what sort of waiting it is. You see, sometimes you know exactly how long you have to wait. While the traffic lights might seem to be taking an age to change, you know it'll just be a minute or two at most. And if you're expectantly counting down the days to your birthday or to Christmas, then you know exactly how long you have to go at 206 days to Christmas, in case you're wondering. But waiting when you don't know how long you'll have to wait can be an entirely different matter. When you're waiting in a queue on the phone and you hear the same music play over and over and over again and then the same recorded message saying your call is important to us, you're number 392 in the queue. Uh, Or when you've been told that something will happen and you wait to see uh, when it finally does happen. In our Bible reading today, and it would be good to have it open in front of you, page 1092 in the Pew Bibles. In our Bible reading today, the disciples are waiting. And they don't know how long they will be waiting for. All they know is that they are waiting for what Jesus has spoken about and what God the Father has promised them. They're in the in-between period between when Jesus is taken up to heaven and when the Holy Spirit is sent down from heaven. And so they find themselves waiting. Last week we saw how Jesus had prepared the disciples to continue his work by showing that he was alive by speaking about the kingdom of God and promising the Holy Spirit. His mission would involve the apostles being sent out to Jerusalem 
and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth to be his witnesses. But they needed the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. They couldn't do it by themselves. And so Jesus had told them, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, at look back, uh, he gives them this command. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So Jesus had told them to wait. As our reading begins then, it's the aftermath of the ascension. Jesus has been taken up to heaven. So how will they wait? Will they be patient or impatient? Will they wait passively or actively? Well, let's see as we'll dive into the passage together. We can see, first of all, that their waiting is obedient, verses 12 to 13. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Jesus had told them to stay in Jerusalem, and that's exactly what they do. Jesus had ascended from the Mount of Olives, about three quarters of a mile from the city. So now they return into the city. They go into the upstairs room where they were staying. This was probably the same upper room where Jesus had celebrated the Passover with his disciples just six weeks before. The same upper room where he had appeared to the disciples after he was raised on Easter Sunday. And it's here in this upper room that they wait. We're given the roll call of those who are present. There are the apostles themselves and they're all named for us in verse 13. But there are others present as well. Uh, We're not told all their names, otherwise Acts chapter 1 would be a lot longer. Uh, But we are told who they are. It says, with uh, the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. So what do you make of the roll call? What do you notice about it? Well, we shouldn't be surprised to find that women were part of the first followers of Jesus. You see, all the way through Luke's gospel, he mentions the women who followed Jesus and supported his ministry. In chapter 8, in chapter 10, in chapter 23, and 24. But you might be surprised to find out who else is there. Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Do you remember uh, back in the, in the winter, springtime, whenever we were in Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus' family had turned up one day to take Jesus home because they thought he had gone mad. He had all these people around him and he was doing all this teaching and they thought that he had gone mad and, and just needed a break. And so they turned up to the house. And Jesus was told, your mother and your brothers are outside. And he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of God, they are my mother and brothers and sisters. At that stage, they weren't part of 
Jesus' followers. They were on the outside. And yet here they are being numbered among Jesus' disciples. Now here's a question for you. What would it take for you to be convinced that your brother is God? What do you think? It would take quite a lot, wouldn't it? Because you know them very well and you've lived with them and they've annoyed you probably all your life. Yet that's what James and Jude, the writers of the New Testament letters, that's what they have come to do. So what brought about the change? How come they're now followers of Jesus? How come they're now worshipping him as God? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that Jesus appeared to James, his brother. And he was then convinced that Jesus was indeed God, that he was indeed alive, and that he would follow him. It's probably hardest to witness to your own family, to speak to them about Jesus. But here we find Jesus' mother and brothers among his disciples. The role has been called. We know who's there, but what are they doing? And how are they waiting? Well, we see that the upper room is the waiting room, but it's also the prayer room, verse 14. It says, They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They committed themselves not to just sit around and chat, but to pray. And they did it together. They were asking God to fulfill the promise he had made, to give them the Holy Spirit, to equip them for the work that he had called them to do. They weren't just sitting around idly. They were sitting around praying. You might have heard of the Thy Kingdom Come initiative. It was started by the Archbishop of Canterbury a few years ago. And it takes these days from Ascension Day, which was last Thursday, through to Pentecost, which is next Sunday, praying in a particular way for God's kingdom to come on earth. There are online resources you can use to help uh, to pray in these days. But we see that the disciples are constantly in prayer. They are waiting obediently and they are waiting prayerfully. But we also see that they waited practically as well. They knew that there was a job to do and so they continued to get ready for what would come next when the waiting period was up. And as they wait together, they're very aware that someone is missing. In verse 15, we're told that uh, there's a group of about 120 believers. They're all there, but there's one person who isn't. So look back at verse 13. The apostles are named. How many? How many? Eleven. That's right, not the twelve that we would expect. 
but only 11. There's a vacancy among the apostles. And that's what Peter addresses in the rest of the passage. He reminds the group of Judas, the betrayer, that what he had done had been shocking. But Peter says that his actions were in fulfillment of the scripture spoken by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. The Old Testament had already said in advance that one of Jesus' disciples would betray him, would, would sell him. Uh, so from at Psalm 69, do you see at the top of the page, the two indented at sections? Those are quotations from Psalms, the first of them, Psalm 69. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. Uh, and uh, his place is deserted as at the brackets back in verse 18 tell us how uh, Judas had bought a field. He had fallen headlong. His body had burst open and his intestines spilled out. Uh, and so his place uh, is called the field of blood. But also then from Psalm 109, the second quotation, may another take his place of leadership. You see, already we're seeing how the apostles have been trained by Jesus to understand the scriptures and apply them to their life. And so they decide to appoint another apostle. Now, whenever there's a, a vacancy, normally you have to you know, have your um, criteria. You know, these are essential uh, criteria. These are uh, optional criteria. Do you see the criteria in verses 21 and 22? It says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So it has to be someone who has seen and heard everything that the other apostles have heard and seen. And more particularly, a witness of his resurrection. So they come up with two candidates, one with three names, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and another with only one name, Matthias. But notice that they don't put it to a vote. Notice that you know, they don't have an election, there aren't ballot papers, there aren't you know, voting cards or voting by hands or anything like that. Rather, they pray and then they cast lots. Now, that prayer might seem familiar uh, in verse 24. In fact, it's the basis of the collect for purity that we prayed this morning. Uh, verse 24, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. As we prayed at this morning, our very first prayer, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known. From you no secrets are hidden. And so it is the Lord of the church, 
the Lord Jesus, who chooses his apostle through this lot. Matthias becomes the twelfth apostle. He becomes a witness of the resurrection, a sharer in the apostolic ministry. And then that's the last that we ever hear of him in the scriptures. Early church histories refer to him being martyred uh, either in Jerusalem or in modern-day Georgia, uh, having witnessed to Jesus. The apostles, they waited obediently, prayerfully, and practically. They were committed to the task that Jesus had given them and were waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. With them, we find ourselves waiting for the final fulfillment of God's promises, the return of Jesus and the consummation of the new heavens and the new earth with new resurrection bodies. As we wait, we're called to wait obediently as we get on with what God, uh, what, sorry, with what Jesus has called us to do. To wait prayerfully as we seek God's help and presence and power. And to wait practically as we live out what the scriptures say. We, like the apostles, are waiting for God to fulfill his promises. But we are also unlike the apostles. You see, we don't have to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we trust in Jesus, we are automatically given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. So if you are a Christian today, then you already have the Holy Spirit. You already have his presence and his power. You have the Holy Spirit. But does the Spirit have you? All of you? And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian today, then you can receive that gift today. You don't need to wait any longer. You can come to Jesus today. We already know that he already knows your heart. He knows your sins and he has provided the way to cancel them, to offer you forgiveness and joy and peace as you trust him as your saviour and your Lord. Commit to him today and he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit right here, right now. He will fill you with the assurance of the hope that we proclaim around the table, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, that Christ will come again. He will fill you with the assurance of your sins forgiven, and he will give you the power to live in a new way, free from fear, as you wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. 
you know where we stand. We pray, uh, Lord, that you would indeed equip us and fill us. That you would help us as we wait for your return. Father, we uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.